team of scripture readers today. Let us pray. Spirit of living God, fall fresh now on this preacher and on these, your people, who have been bought by the precious blood of our brother Jesus on the cross. In his name we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, on last week, we began our series on revolutionary kingdom. And I want to say up front that a revolutionary kingdom is very intentional of the wording because when Jesus came to planet Earth, when he was born of Mary, housed in a body, he came to lead a countercultural movement that was not following the rules of the society at the time, but would obey the rules of a brand new kingdom called the kingdom of heaven. And that was a revolutionary act. It was revolutionary for Jesus to say the first will be last and the last will be first. Revolutionary that Jesus would go in the temple and turn over the money changers' place. Revolutionary that Jesus would heal people on the Sabbath day in church. It was revolutionary that Jesus would stop at a well and sit down and talk to a woman all by himself and, and then tell her all about herself and then pronounces that she is a daughter of the Most High God. It was revolutionary for a prophet or priest or, uh, or whatever we, they thought Jesus was to stop a funeral and begin to say Talitha Kuma and somebody would come back from the dead. It was revolutionary when Jesus showed up at the tomb of Lazarus and said, come out and come back where you belong. It was revolutionary. Jesus was a revolutionary figure in history. And I know we like to clean Jesus up and have him all nice and on our pictures and his beard is all prepped and hair all cut, eyes all blue and sparkly. But Jesus is probably one of the most revolutionary figures in history. And he calls us to be revolutionary disciples. And I want to say up front, a revolution is not an uprising. An uprising has no real heart. It ends when the going gets tough, the uprising gets going. A revolutionary, a revolution is all about the heart and will to follow Jesus no matter what. Because Jesus is leading this revolution, my friends. We really have nowhere else to go in life but to follow him and believe that he came to not only save us, but change the world. A revolutionary disciple is when, when a person stops giving part of their life to Christ and surrenders all to the God who first loved us. A revolutionary disciple is when a person is tired of attending church and one day decides to become the church. A revolutionary disciple is a believer who follows Christ. And it is made known by the way we treat people. Love, brothers and sisters, is countercultural. The idea that we will have a society that will be ruled 
by the rubric of love rather than laws written by human beings was revolutionary then and is revolutionary now. A disciple, my brothers and sisters, is a believer who exercises the faith and know that God really did come into the world and give God's life for us. A revolutionary disciple commits their lives to sharing the good news to non-believers. They commit their lives to loving others, denying self. They commit their lives to studying the Scriptures and, and beginning to their relationship in Jesus Christ and become imitators of Christ's great love. All of can be summed up in one term. A revolutionary Christ and becomes a doulos. A doulos. The Greek word doulos, we translate it servant. But in the Greek, the more accurate translation is slave. A revolutionary disciple is a slave of Jesus Christ. The word slave has negative connotations in our world. So we use the term servant. But servant doesn't quite get what the Bible means by doulos. Doulos means that you give up all your rights to follow another. A doulos means that your opinion belongs to the master and not your own. A doulos, brothers and sisters, is one who has given everything they have to following Jesus. Paul said he was a slave to Christ. A servant of Christ knows that Christ is our King. A revolutionary disciple knows that we are following Christ wherever He leads. A revolutionary disciple knows that we must die daily to sin and fleshly desires and allow Christ's life to flow through us. That's why the prayer says, give us this day our daily bread. We Christians have to live with the tension of being kingdom citizens and citizens of the world. From the very beginning of the church, my friends, from the very beginning right after Pentecost, the new disciples, the new followers of Christ had to begin to deal with what does it mean to follow Christ in a culture who doesn't want to obey by the rules that Jesus set forth? What does it mean to be a disciple in the United States of America? What does it mean to be a disciple in Afghanistan? How can we be followers of Christ when the mandate is a kingdom that's rubric is love magnified by grace. It's a difficult thing. Jesus knew it would be difficult, which is why he told the disciples, hey, you go and wait in that upper room until you receive power from on high. 
The mission of God cannot be carried out under the power and authority of human beings. The mission of God to be a revolutionary church can only be fulfilled when we are fueled by the Spirit of God. And to that end, Peter, in the scripture that Abel read, says that not only are we doulases, we are priestesses and priests in this kingdom. We become royalty when we allow the Holy Spirit of God to allow us to follow Christ. We become royal priesthood. We become holy in an unholy nation because not only are we royal priests and priestesses, we are by following Christ and giving our lives to Christ and being a servant to Christ, we are set apart and we shine like a diamond because we are a holy nation. Think about it. Because of the mission of Christ on the cross, we are made holy. Now, I've been trying to convince Alita for years that I'm holy, <laughs> but I haven't had no success. But the text says that we are citizens of heaven, citizens of the kingdom, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a chosen a royal priesthood, a people who are God's own possessions, who have become this people so that you may speak the wonderful acts that's done by God in Jesus Christ because you have been called out of the darkness into the marvelous light. We become people that are fueled by the Holy Spirit and brighten up the world wherever we are because wherever we are, God is. Peter, in this passage, is written to the early Christian community. Early Christian community already having problems over how do you be a Christian in a society that don't play by the rules of Christianity. Early Christians right away had a problem. They had a problem in Ephesus. They had a problem in Rome. When Paul got to Rome, he had to deal with a church that was trying to be a Christian church and yet maintain Roman societal ways in the church. Friends, we cannot abdicate our citizenship in America. We are citizens of the United States, and we have to obey all the rules and laws. As a matter of fact, as Christians, as kingdom citizens, we ought to be the ones to obey the laws utmost. It was Jesus who said, whose likeness is on this coin? And he said, I want you to give Caesar what is Caesar's. That means whatever Caesar's demand of you, give it to him. But I want you to give God what is God. That's you. Your heart, your soul has been purchased by the blood of the Lamb. It doesn't belong to Caesar. It belongs to God. And brothers and sisters, from the very inception of the church, we have had to find our identity in the world. None more than the United Methodist Church. John Wesley started the United Methodist Church from what is called the Holy Club. 
by which they would gather together and pray and do missions among the people at school. It grew so fast in England that they wanted to know about this great movement of methodical people in America. John Wesley came to America and brought with him his revolutionary style of worship and leadership. He immediately got into trouble because the first thing he did was baptize a slave and then baptize Native Americans. The United Methodist Church from the very beginning of time in America has struggled with what does it mean to be a holy nation, kingdom citizens in the new world called America. It had to deal with some of its new bishops that owned slaves. That issue alone caused the church in America to split for over a hundred years before that issue was resolved. The church, the Methodist church in America, has always had to be and deal with being countercultural in America. They settled the slavery problems in 1935. They said, we will come together and we will put all of the African-Americans in their own jurisdiction called the central jurisdiction. And we grappled with that for years. The church debated and argued over whether it's right from the very beginning of its inception. At that general conference, they wanted the people to know we, we are not happy with this. It went on to 1968 when the United Methodist Church desired to unite with the Evangelical United Brethren. And the United Brethren said, the only way that we will unite with you is you have to get rid of that apartheid called the central jurisdiction. And you have to agree to ordain women. Now, the Evangelical United Brethren didn't have a lot of nothing. They didn't have a lot of money. All they had was a lot of churches. Nobody gave that a chance of passing at the 1968 General Conference. But my friends, in 1968, the Methodist Episcopal Church South and the Methodist Episcopal Church North united with the Evangelical United Brethren and became the United Methodist Church. And I can stand here today in Calvary, United Methodist Church as an African-American man and speak the gospel because at that conference, they said no longer will we be divided. They became revolutionary kingdom citizens because they said we will follow Christ. Even if it means being contradictory to everybody else in the world, we will ordain female clergy and we wouldn't have my wife serving three churches if that community wouldn't have said, we are following Christ. We're not following the edicts of a new country. We're following Jesus. And my friends, the church has always had to grapple with issues. And because we're humans, we get it wrong. 
but we are willing, willing to change. God will not let us continue to stray down a path that is not right. The church will grapple over issues as long as we are trying to be followers of Christ in the world. But we grapple with them with a rubric that says, I will not dehumanize you to get my point across. I will not make you less of my brother or sister just to prove you wrong. If it takes a hundred years, we will work at it together until God bring God's revolutionary kingdom to light. My friends, in every period of history, the church has had to step up and undergo criticism and be persecuted because we seek to follow the one who said up on this rock, I will build my church and not even the gates of Hades will be able to prevail against it. Friends, that's revolutionary stuff. Christ has endowed you and I with the mission of servanthood to not fight with sticks and stones, but fight with the sacrificial lifestyle that comes with following the almighty Christ and become such a revolutionary movement that the world will look at us and say, this is where I want to be. Let us pray. Spirit of the living God, we thank you for all the things that you have done through men and women in history. As we look at our own history, we know that you show up at every turn. We know that wherever we are, you are. And we know that during this whole COVID crisis in the world, you are showing up through men and women who, who take care of your children at great risk to their own lives. We thank you that the first responders are being church in the places that you have planted them. Bless this congregation to be a blessing to others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.